Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Reliability Gang podcast. I have a very special guest. Welcome Chris. Chris Harden from UE Systems. How are you keeping, buddy? Good morning, Will. I'm fine, thank you very much. Keeping busy and out of trouble, so can't oh, complain. Always busy, Chris. This is something I've wanted to do for ages. I've known Chris for a really long time. I think it was back in my Eric's days. I did my UE uh, Level 1. About seven years ago. Over seven years ago Mate, now. So that was in Birmingham, wasn't it? That's it was. so long ago. But do you know, the one thing I loved about that course was how interactive, insightful, and I'll be honest, I went on that course not thinking that ultrasound was actually going to be any use to me. To be honest, I had this weird preconceived perception, which was wrong. And after that course, I was like, wow, what is the power of what ultrasound can do? So It's a common thing that we see. Mate, you completely yeah. spun my perception on ultrasound and what it is and, and how it can help. And I think at the time I kind of thought, it was, oh, it's just a kind of point and shoot, have a little listen. It doesn't give you much other than that. But um, when I first started, obviously, Maintain as well, obviously, I got a UP9000. You did. And it was just, especially moving from a new system, because we was using SKF Aptitude at the time in Micrologs. And I went to Proof Technic. So, you know, obviously, the, the collectors essentially give you the same information, but they can present them a little bit differently. So having a confidence in a new kit, having that UP9000 with me was just a godsend to listen to things as well. And every every time I see a like high envelope reading and I kind of tested and listened, I kind of got a bit of a connection between what is bad vibration and why is ultrasound. Absolutely. So I was getting these connections, which are so handy and helpful. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I mean, end of the day, with the ultrasound, you know, you're using, it's helping you enhance your senses, isn't it? You know, things like listening. And we always talk about, you know, how we use technologies and that, but also using your own human senses to help you with these things. It just enhances that sort of it thing. It does, yeah, because observation side of things as well is so important for us at Maintain. And we always try to make sure we're doing everything we can to look. But I think sometimes hearing things for the guys is, is amazing. And we've actually invested in, you'll, you'll see the post soon, in five new UP9000s uh, for the guys. Which quite is a collection. Quite a collection. And... The new ones are even better, actually, because you've got you've done some slight modifications. The UP nine thousand is such a classic; like it doesn't change because if it ain't broke, don't fix you it. Don't fix it exactly. And I've I've had that equipment years ago, but now they've put like some nice. The rubber's changed slightly. I've noticed the yeah. little additions and a like, big rubber thing on the, on the on the cap there, and these tiny little additions as well just make it a little bit nicer to have as well. Well, that's it. The nine thousand is probably one of the most popular units because it's so simplistic as well, um, and it's so rugged. They've got, they, they go forever, you know. Um, that's what I that's love about thing. it. That's what I love about it. Because I think on the market, we've tried a few other ultrasound kits as well mm-hmm. in our time. We've obviously had a dabble and play. But the thing is, with a few of them, they're a little bit more like vibration collectors. Whereas what, what I love about the UP9000, obviously you can get the, the UP15000 for that high-end kind of mm-hmm. technical data collection and all that. But what I love about the 9000, it sits in a holster really well. And I'll send some pictures to you guys when I get the guys already using this stuff. We look like Ghostbusters, man. We've got get these and hats on. We've got these <laughs> massive, like, head torches, right? We've got, like, um, we've got these new, as well, Bluetooth WS Alert 3M mm-hmm. headphones that attach to your helmet. And we've got a Bluetooth receiver on the 9000. That's right, So yep. we can wirelessly listen with ear defenders on, on site. It's perfect. It is apps. Honestly, yeah. the guys look so geared up now, and it's been a while since we've been able to get in. It's cost us a lot of money, but I think for us, it's about how do we do the service? Do you know what I mean? So thanks, Chris, for being mm. able to enable that as well, because the, the idea is now we can have our Falcons here, and we can have 
these wirelessly strapped around. So it's ergonomically, mm. it's really important as well that ergonomically you can get around the side with all the assets and, and do your job as well. Well, that's it. Yeah, and if you're you know you're carrying lots of kit with you on these sites and doing these surveys and everything else, you, you know the nine thousand sitting in a holster isn't getting in your way. It's really easy to use, well balanced. And now you haven't got the uh, wired headphones, for example. You've got the wireless. You've got that wire as well. You've it's got there. It's straight out. You could. It's a quick draw. Literally that is a quick draw. Bang. Literally. Have bang. a listen to it. Yeah. And this is why I'm really excited for the guys. To obviously, get out there and do a bit. Chris mm. is coming over in a couple of weeks to do a bit of training with the guys as well, just to be able to, you know, ergonomically how to use them. Because obviously, the guys have been using Falcons and mm. not really any ultrasound at all. So it'll be really great to get them kind of into the ultrasound world a little bit as well, and just understand kind of how it works and. Everything. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you were saying, you've had to dabble through different types of ultrasound technologies and things like that. And, you know, like vibration technology, a lot of the the technologies today are all very similar and have very similar capabilities. Um, But I think one of the key things I think that you can differentiate there is is what sort of support are you going to get from those sort of vendors? Yeah, it's so important to support. Um, Because support's spot on. You need to have that that there, somebody that you can rely on. I I know, because I've relied on you since, well, back then. And I think even when I, you know... Even when I was at Eric's, you know, them, t- them times would call yeah. you up. He was there to help us out. And, and you know, even now when, my, when I've started at Maintain as well. And I think that's that connections and relationships are the most important thing in this industry. Oh, no, absolutely. I learned a lot, you know, the last few years really doing this mm. business. Because, you know, a lot of people do want to kind of work with you when you start to get a bit of a name for yourself out there and stuff like that. And I think to myself sometimes, the reason I think I went full circle back to you, Chris, in terms of this arrangement, I think there's always something that we wanted to do. But I think we had to experience as well a little bit and have a little play with things and see what the the level of support is like to then realise, mm-hmm. you know what, that we should be we should be going here for full throttle as no, well. Absolutely. I mean that's the thing. And you know, I, I get a lot of inquiries from people that are people that I don't know, but know somebody else that knows me already, for yeah. example, we're already are users. And that's kind of like when you know you're doing the right thing. Because people are coming to you saying, hey, such and such has told me to get in contact with you because they're using your kit and we're looking at something else and we want to do that as well. And that's then you know that you're doing the right job. That's the sort of thing. And, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm an engineer by trade. I want to get things done. I want to make sure things are working. You want, you want to make sure things are better, don't you? You want exactly. to improve yeah. things. That's it. You know. That's why we're so aligned with, with these conversations and chats because – yeah, you know, we've even before this conversation, we spoke passionately about one of my customers <laughs> that's not listening about a certain defect, and we talked about health and safety and the elements of reliability and mm-hmm. how that culture is so important to be able to change. But as well, I think we are on the daily mission, not just to be able to do our ultrasound or vibration or our services. We're on a mission as well to to inform the industry about this. This I think we're ingrained in the yes. culture change, aren't we? Oh, massively. And like you say, we were just talking before, and. God, we must have spent hours on the phone over, over weeks and days and months I mean, sometimes saying the you same things. Me, you, you, know, know, yeah. you call me and I look at my phone afterwards. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to Chris the whole journey home. <laughs> yeah. We've gone on some tangents about certain customers and the culture and stuff. And, you know, we can yeah. talk all day about these certain no, stories. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're there. You know, we're, you're providing a service. I'm providing a service in some respects. I'm providing equipment and that. And it's very, it'd be very easy for us to do what's being asked of us. Provide that and then walk away. We could do that. But the thing is, with anything, anything to do with reliability, that's not the end. It, it's, it's looking at actually giving that support, holding that hand and making sure that we can help change the mindset, change the culture. Because, you know, these services and technologies, yeah, they're great. They're brilliant. But if you don't change the way that you approach things, then it's always going to fail. as well. You you're, know, you're so right about that. It. I'm really glad you kind of mentioned that as well, because 
I think a lot of people expect this game to be a really short journey. And yeah. sometimes it can take seven, eight years, nine, ten years, decades yeah. to, to get that culture to change. And they might have been doing a bit of condition monitoring before. They might mm. have been doing that from the start. But until they actually start to change the culture of what reliability is and everything around it, yeah. then it's really difficult for them to really embrace what needs to, to be moved forward in terms of new ideas and new ways and strategies of actually getting from end goal. Because how many customers do you talk to, Chris, that don't actually have a goal? This is the thing. No, all they have, for example, most, a lot of the times I see is uh, they have a problem, they have an issue, and they go, okay, uh, this technology, that, that'll fix it. That'll fix this issue. Uh, an example, I have one uh, uh, a customer that bought a lubrication grease caddy to help with their lubrication program, and I popped in to give some support, um, went to their lubrication store to try and find where the grease caddy was. And we found a, a whole shelf full of different grease guns that had different types of grease in that weren't marked up. Oh, no. Very mucky, very dirty. And it was kind of like, well, guys, we need to think about our lubrication store and how we do that first before we start applying it with a grease caddy. That's the thing is that they want to move to it the end goal. Good. Yes. When they haven't even done the first initial steps that allow them to do the, a strategy. the, the second bit better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a strategy. They haven't got a strategy. It's about, right, here's my problem. Ah, this could fix it. Yeah. But but there's other factors that contribute to that, 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 that issue and that they haven't addressed and they haven't maybe been aware of. It's one how, of those how things. How do we start to to kind of, you know, prime the industry a little bit in terms of saying, well, instead of looking at the short term, how do we look at the longer term? How do we look at reliability? How do we get more stakeholders involved with reliability rather than just looking at engineering managers? Because obviously you've got procurement, mm -hmm. you've got everyone around, the health and safety as well, you know, your environment, yeah. all these all these things that reliability will improve and tie into. How do we actually start to say, right, here's the centre, this is reliability. How do we draw everyone into the same goal? Because well, I feel like we've yeah. really, like, separated a minute and it's so it difficult. It is, to... it is. I mean, if you look at it, you know, most of the time when we're going to sites, we're dealing with maintenance staff, maintenance departments. And, and when it comes to a reliability programme, you know, it involves every department. And the problem is every department in the organisation is like a chain. And if one of those links isn't on board with that, it's always going to fail. Oh, no, yeah. So when you're having these discussions, you need to be talking to people in operations, explaining on how, if they do it this way, it's going to benefit them. Going to the accounts people, if we do it this way, how is it going to benefit them? And try and make that awareness to them how these things will benefit them, even though it's not directly seen by them. I know, and, and it's like almost that. like having nine different sales pitches for different people. It is. Because every single one of them departments is kind of almost measured on different KPIs. But I suppose reliability does have a branch of every single one of them and a selling point well, yeah. with every one of them yeah. as well, hasn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, for example, with ultrasound, if you think about uh, leak detection, energy savings, you know, you could be discussing certain things with maintenance departments that if they identify all these compressed air leaks and repair them, then those compressed air systems that are being used for operational purposes those things are going to keep running more reliably and more effectively. Yeah. Then you've got the EHS team, you, the environmental health people, and so you can say, right, well, look, th by reducing these leaks, we're going to then save money, but we're also going to reduce the carbon emissions through the excess energy wastage. Yeah, Again, yeah, and then yeah. the accounts team, oh, look, more money in the budget because your energy bill is going down. Yeah, which is off your bottom line straight away. So there's so many there's different, benefits. different departments. If they bring this awareness through, then they will see the cost benefit or the benefit to the organisation. I know. It's almost like trying to get in to a company then say, right, guys, here's our end goal for reliability. What does reliability give all of your, the, your departments and divisions? Mm. So like procurement, you'll have more money to spend. EHS, you'll 
be more compliant with you know your yeah. your energy um and manufacturing uh, and and operations you know you're going to have more better quality in your products engineering you're going to have better reliability your 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 compressors are now going to last longer you're going to have less issues mm-hmm. and problems with downtime so all of these things are so important to be able to you know come under the umbrella of what reliability is yeah and 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 that's the way i believe we've got to start not selling this but but raising awareness for it because a lot of the time when we go to a certain size oh we do these early seven you've got this cam- mm. new camera that can detect and, and, and engineer managers are like well yeah that's cool technology but i'm not really looking at them kpis will mm. i'm looking at different things so they're kind of interested but they're yeah. not really they're ready to strike the iron are they no that's I mean? it yeah that's right i mean when when you're going to these sort of places to visit people and discuss how these things can benefit you almost want to say to them right i want you to bring somebody from accounts in i want you to bring somebody from environmental health in you know you want to bring a bit of everything because then you can have that same conversation with a twist four times at the same time i know and there's so many benefits from one and that's what i like especially the air league stuff mm. like, with, with as well with a uh, i like tech we've invested in, in in the new air leak uh what is it the old the, the ultra view leak detection ultra view leak detection camera. i don't even sorry i need to get to know all the models and numbers it's all very <laughs> new to me the, the the camera side of things anyway but we've uh, had a little play and my god is is so sensitive it very, it's very so, sensitive. So, why, so take, take me through this. T- let the people know about the camera in terms of why is it, how is it more sensitive and how does it actually work from converting that ultrasound to an image? So what, we, what we've got there basically is we've got a large array of sensors on the actual head of the actual device itself picking up the high frequency ultrasound. Um, you could almost liken each sensor to like an individual eardrum. So every single one of them little dots, is that a sensor? A sensor, absolutely, yes. So you're increasing um, the sensitivity of the device to pick up a lower emissions, also from a greater distance. I mean, there's no set range on these things because it depends on what the size of the emissions are being caused out there. Um, But by having that, we're increasing then the signal-to-noise ratio and everything else, Um, and then it's transposing that uh, on the display as a hotspot as the source of the emission because you have so many sensors pinpointing out there as an array so like each one is then associated to a pixel is it yeah that's almost wow. yeah almost in some respects it's very similar in those ways how long has this technology but, been around because these cameras are pretty new to the market aren't they well you'll be surprised that this so been it's, it's, been, it's been around for a little while yeah. um, but as technology has advanced as components have advanced um, they've become obviously more cost effective to build and everything else um, and obviously if you look at the current climate energy savings is a very ah, big it's, topic it's huge um, right now so these sort of devices you know are simplistic as well I mean you know you could put it in the hands of an untrained person and they can identify an airlink very easily you know um, I was on a site earlier this week where um, I was showing how this camera worked and the uh, the engineer manager was like right I want to do a test and he's like what's that and he went I've got an intern here and they had an intern in from university just doing a bit of work experience as such. And they put the camera in his hands and went, off you go, go and find a leak. And literally off they went within literally 30 seconds. He was like, I think I've seen something over here. Like, oh, well done. There's a leak. That's and we didn't easy. even know that was there. It's and it was easy. like, yeah, very yeah. straightforward. Do you know the one thing I love about it? It's the accessibility as well. Mm. Like the majority of the sites that you go to, you can't even get into the areas That's where it. most of the leaks are, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. depending on interlocks and stuff like that. So you're really relying on having the plant shut down to go in to do an air leak survey. 
problem is when the plants shut down, the last thing they probably want is an air leak survey because mm-hmm. they're doing a lot of repairs on that exactly. day and all the rest of it. So what I really like about it is the A, the accessibility of being able to view air leaks from, from, from far, far away or behind guards mm. and be able to capture them air leaks as well. And what I do like about it is the time element of it. Yes. Because now you can identify the leaks. Maybe how, how much faster would you say it's quicker than, than, than not airborne? I, a I, rough I, guess. I would. I would say it, it, it's at least five to six it's times gotta faster. It's got to be five. It's got to be there because because you can take an image as well mm-hmm. on the camera of the leak, and you can then actually do the report from the camera, can't you? As no, well? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I when when we first released the UltraView, um, I popped into a few sites. Um, me being a bit of an older guy, and you know, we talk about embracing change i was kind of like oh this is new there's no headphones i can't hear the sound or oh, i'm not sure about this uh you know and then went to <laughs> went to a site where i had a very good user that was using an ultra probe already to do air leak surveys and we said right let's go together let's go and do a sweep and see how we get on let's have a play. and um we walked out of the office straight away out into the out into the outside and i was like oh look there's a leak over there and the guy was like trying to scan this thing. oh yeah i can hear something i can hear something over that way so by the time he'd wandered over and, I, and pinpointed it and everything else, I was kind of like, yeah, great, but it's there. And by the way, you've got four other leaks over here. He's like, what? Like, yeah, I found them already. Um, and I've taken images already, set distances, costings, done. And he's like, wow. So and then I was sold as well on the on, well. On that's the that's kind of where we're sold on it, and, and we, we you know we obviously do air leak surveys at maintain. We we are now really going to start to push because it is a huge kind of KPI in my radar in terms of saying how do we actually now look at the environment? How do we look at kind of energy savings? And how do we start to become that company that is more conscious about kind of them elements of, of no, net absolutely. zero and all the rest of it? And we, yeah, we've obviously been highly kind of. You know, I'd say a lot of our work is vibration analysis, really. You know, and we are, I'm now really interested to have a start, you know, branching into other areas. And now this camera is going to allow us to be able to really quickly identify more savings and be able to drive them, them costs down. Absolutely. As well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at it, and I mean, you know, we had COVID and everything else, and then obviously things that are going on in the world as well out of our control, but that also then had an impact on the cost of energy. And it's just, you gone, know, it's just gone crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, is it doubled? Oh, well, pre-COVID, I would say on average, going around different industries, because we go into all different industries, the average cost for energy before COVID times was probably between 8 to 12 pence per kilowatt hour. I, I remember, right, back yeah. back in the day when, when I was doing the kind of the UE stuff with our cameras, I, I remember it was hmm. kind of like, I'm sure it was like 5 kilowatt. Five pence. Yeah, it, it, it was quite I'm low. Sure yeah, that, that was what my yeah. reports were saying. Yeah. And so if that, if like now, I mean... For my particular house, I'm paying, I think, 29p or something like that. Which isn't bad, actually. Which isn't bad right now. It's actually got a good deal. (laughs) But that is, I think people forget, they don't see the tangibility, I suppose, of the actual increase of where we've actually gone to. It's actually phenomenal. I've seen one customer that that their energy costs were at about 68 pence per kilowatt hour now. Wow. And a difference from something like 15 pence per kilowatt hour previously before COVID. And so you think about the associated cost behind that is absolutely crazy. Um, and that's why it's a big Yeah, absolutely. We, we have to, because we can't, like, let's be honest, we shouldn't be wasting energy anyway. No, we shouldn't like, be. It shouldn't, yeah. We shouldn't have to go through this really high increase for us to be able to be prompted to be able to do these things no. anyway. And if, you think, more yeah. to, and if you think about it, you know, a lot of corporate industries are always shouting about wanting to be carbon neutral, reduce their carbon emissions, not necessarily about saving their money on the energy. But with these leak surveys and these reports, it also tells you 
the reduction in carbon emissions if you actually wow. repair those leaks that's as well. Amazing. And that's a key factor in the current climate. You know, these companies are looking to make sure that they are carbon neutral. And again, doing your leak surveys, yes, it saves money, but also it reduces your carbon footprint. That's what I'm saying with this with, with this as well. And I'm, I am surprised because obviously in terms of what we've done, we, we've not done a massive amount with mm. any surveys, if I'm honest, Chris. And we're dealing with a lot of big companies mm. and we have obviously tried to prompt them within, you know, um, again, talking to the right people is always mm-hmm. a struggle. But, you know, when you see of all these benefits that they can get out of just having their leak survey and actually getting these things mm-hmm. repaired, because we, we do a find and fix thing now as well, because what we were doing previously was just going in, identifying the leaks and never get fixed. You know, <laughs> size, right, yeah. size, just if mm-hmm. anything, they're getting busier. So we'd be like, right, we'll come in, but we'll come in after. We'll, we'll obviously source all the parts that require, you know, refits and whether they're fittings or, you know, fillers mm-hmm. or actuators or whatever we'd come in and we'd, we'd come and replace these things as well so you know essentially like now is the time to be doing these things if oh you're no, absolutely before. it's yeah. just it's crazy that that a lot of people ain't doing it really do you know what i mean and that, mm-hmm. that did kind of like rattle my mind well that's the thing i mean why are they not doing yeah. these well things? if you look at it i mean you know when a site will get their energy bill for example you don't get an itemized bill of saying well by the way, all these air leaks that you've got cost you this much. They don't have that. They just have a bill for the energy consumption. You've used this much energy, and this is how much it's costing you. That's a, that's a that's problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so you don't see it. It's hidden. It's and hidden, as, yeah. and as long as production's still running, no one's complaining. You're right, because at the end of the day, essentially, as long as obviously the output is bigger than what mm. you know the, the input is, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, in terms of money, then people ain't going to really scrutinize every element until they see it this is you know? it and exactly. i think that's the beautiful thing about the air leak survey quite quickly we can quantify the amount that you'd potentially spend in energy oh, in the year very absolutely. quickly yeah and then all of a sudden people start to listen because like what mm-hmm. like what was that price like wow that's a lot of money exactly i had a, a a customer that um purchased one of these ultra view cameras and literally within a week of them having it in their hands, they showed me a report that they had done within that week that identified over £100,000 worth of leaks. That's just crazy. So if they were to just leave them for the next year, that would cost the company £100,000 in energy usage. It's just mad. It's just such a huge saving. And most of these these sort of air leaks are simple, quick fixes as well. Yeah, they are. They're literally, most of them yeah. are, are kind of severed pipes or you know, yeah. pneumatic fittings, really, mm-hmm. aren't they? they, they Press fittings and all those sort of things. Stuff yeah. that is so easy to implement as well we've got to get better as a as, oh, as, yeah. as you know for reliability really we do as, as manufacturing has to start improving these things because the high percentage mm. of the customers that we visit they're not regularly doing these things i no. think they should be done quarterly because we do quarterly surveys for a particular customer of a lot of compressed air and we find a lot mm. from one from from even three months time there's fittings that fail or yeah. pipes that are severed or whatever and this is the thing if you're never actually doing it think of how bad it's getting over time yeah you know if we can justify being there quarterly because of the energy savings with that then god we've got to start doing more. that's the thing i mean you know a leak survey is not the be not the end of the game you know you're constantly having these leaks appearing over time so you need to keep on top of them initially when you first start and then repair them, you see a great win. You see big improvements. It's one of the quickest ROIs with the use of ultrasound, literally. The return on investment is very, very quick if you actually repair them, as I tell people. Because they're like, <laughs> oh, got, wow. yeah. Yeah. It's just a number, really. Yeah, sense, like, you know, it? you can yeah. identify £100,000 worth of leaks and go, yeah, that's great, look at that, that's brilliant. Have you repaired any? No. No, we haven't. <laughs> 
Well, you're not saved anything then. So, you know, you so know, well you, done. You've got yeah. to fix them. Exactly. And it's the same with the VA stuff. You know, we identify yeah. bearing defect. Essentially, it's just it's just information until it's acted upon. It's still there. And this is why we created Solve. This is the mm-hmm. exact reason why, because we don't want to be a company that just gives us problems. We want to be part of the solution. And what we do understand is, like, I think a lot of companies do want to do the things we tell them that mm-hmm. they need to do. But they just don't have the manpower. I mean, what is oh. going on, Chris? I don't know about you, but the last two, three years, mm-hmm. every single site that we go into at the minute is it just seems to be so undermanned. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Do you work- think this is the way it's going now in terms of the future? It seems that workload seems to be going up um, with less manpower. Yeah, um, I think there's still a big lack of um, tradespeople in the industry out there. Do you um, think it's inherently a skills issue, or do you think inherently it's it's a saving exercise? Because I think COVID was a bit of a stimulus for all of this, because they obviously probably realised, oh, we can run more lean. Yeah, it, it, whether that's a good thing long term mm-hmm. or not, you know, is is, is questionable. Because yeah. short term, yeah, you might get by, but what is the the long term impact effects as well? Yeah, it's it's hard to put um, put you know, a, a specific area where it, it, we're lacking on this and why we're doing it. I think, you know, we are getting to a point where I think there was a very large um, number of baby boom generation engineers starting to retire. Yeah, um, yeah. And at the I, same I time, yeah, at the same time, maybe we're not having enough apprentices coming through or it doesn't seem fashionable uh, trades to, or career as such. People don't necessarily see engineering as a career, but, um, you know, it... It's raising that awareness, I think, as well with it. Because well, you think as well, like especially for young, I think a lot of people. I think engineers cool, but I do you think people think it's too difficult? I, I get that feeling sometimes. Or it's like getting it, your hands dirty. Or, or that maybe, yes. yeah. I think maybe the new generation. If you might think not about want it, to, how, how, how many children growing up these days get to run up, roll around in the mud eating worms and stuff like that, that these crazy, days? You know, yeah. I, know I, and I think we are stuff. growing. I mean, you know, you. Uh, you got kids having your Chris. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You, you see it like them in, in the world that they've grown up in. It's very it's different. It's just so different to the world that we have. Oh, absolutely. Of, you know, when we, I think when I was younger, it was the first Game Boy, I think. The big, the oh, big, the yeah, big yeah. Game Boy yeah, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely crazily in love with that thing. Yeah. It was 2D screen. I had to put this little attachment on it with a little... It was literally a magnifying glass with a light on so I could see the yeah. actual screen. As my kids now, they're playing, well, Marty's playing the PS5 online against the world and these games. It's yeah. like. But, but also, if you think about it, when we were growing up as well, and when obviously some of the older generations grew up, everything we had, if it broke, you could repair it. Yeah, you could actually, it. Yeah, think about that. Think about your car, you know, when you buy your first car, if something went wrong with it, you get the oil come out of the back, you get covered in oil fixing, repairing it. But it was fun. But technology today doesn't allow you to do Doesn't that. allow you to repair it. It's a case of, oh, that's not working, replace it. That's an interesting that's analogy. It. So there may be then even the mindset and the, not conditioning, but the the environment doesn't allow people mm. to really get their hands done until that's they it. actually get involved with engineering and then it's all new. That's it. I mean, you know, I, I first started uh, my engineering career in the military um, and the military, yeah, you know, we use quite old technology at times, but it's technology that you can repair and you can rely on it and you can repair components. You can pull things apart, test stuff and identify where they're coming from and then repair those parts. The technology now that's replaced those sort of things, it's a case of, of if it's a failure, it's a code and a guy in another country on another time zone said, oh, by the way, you've got a failure on this. We'll send you a new board. Just swap the board. So you lose that skill. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you everything's know. kind of almost geared up to this kind of automated way of doing things. Box on, box off. 
yeah. approach now. Straight with a in, lot of boxing, things. pay for the part, then, then you know, obviously yeah. probably at quite a high premium. And this is the thing. Do you think skills are getting lost with just the... And what is the reason for that? The reason probably would be to be more efficient. Well, it's, it's, the components it's, are cheaper now these days. Yeah, and you know, Raw materials cheaper, quicker, and it's about keeping that uptime. I mean, I used to love getting a soldering iron out, getting a multimeter out. I still do, Working yeah. my thing through it's and fun. stuff like that. But these days you don't have that need for that. And yeah, uh, it's, it's just one of those things. It's a shame. But, I mean, you know, even when we teach with ultrasound, I kind of get my old... Uh, lecturer teacher hat on and then start getting a whiteboard out and drawing you know protons neutrons electrons and talking about the theory of uh, you know electricity and everything else before we start the conversation on electrical principles and everything else with ultrasound yeah because i always think of well if you can understand this bit here you can the rest of, yeah. the rest is just going to fall straight it into your lap place. You know? yeah definitely so you know things like that making sure you know you you Give that all-round education. Uh, it's, get, it's getting a mixture, isn't it? I mm. think it's, it's using technology, but then get, reverting back to the theory and doing it back to the old school ways, yeah. pen on board, really explaining why things are happening. I think that's what I really enjoy about teaching mm. the VA side of things, especially. It's more about kind of how do we now really get this theory into their heads in a practical fashion, but how can they really comprehend it? Yeah, Rather than just seeing it as info, how can they really... Like, ah, I get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Aha moments. But you've also got to think about as well, look at the way technology is advancing as well. And, you know, you think about the the world of uh, the IoT world and stuff like that with online systems and monitoring. You know, it does fit a need for engineering departments because of the lack of manpower, the lack of time and stuff like that. You know, yeah, PM optimization and stuff. You know, you see that and some people see that as a, you know, a godsend and it's brilliant. But also then people then become reliant and say, well, this thing's going to tell me when something's wrong, and then I'm going to do that then. So, again, there's a bit more of that, you know, reliance on that, and, again, potentially losing a bit of skill set and things like that as well. Of course, and I think that's where the balance and awareness needs to come in, yeah. especially when it comes down to IoT, because we don't we use it a lot. Well, I mean, we've had oh. great applications mm-hmm. where we're, um, we're, we're monitoring things now. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I can log onto this computer, and I can see, you know, the condition of some assets that we've got with some Eagle systems, mm. you know, and all the rest of it and urban systems as well we've used in the past as well and a lot of these different sensors that we are currently using in terms to, uh, as as mm. to monitoring things but as well we've got to understand that it's not the end all because exactly. you are right there's a limitation of just putting a sensor on and saying oh mm. that's covered there's got to be a level of you know understanding that not everything can be caught by VA no exactly it's some people think yeah. it's the end all like think, oh they've done VA on that that is complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you did a Famica on a certain asset, I could guarantee there's still five or six ways that asset could potentially fail. Absolutely. That are not detectable by vibration. There's not one technology out there that's going to identify all potential failure modes, is not, there? No, there isn't. You've, and you've got to understand that. Um, and this is why I hate the whole argument of, oh, vibration's better. No, yeah. ultrasound's better. And you see these, like, kind of threads on LinkedIn and you get these, you know, you can tell, like, there's some people that have been in the ultrasound field for mm-hmm. years and, and, and vice versa. And, and, and you see them kind of going at each other. It's like, guys, just put your hands around each other, mm-hmm. come together and use both technologies and exactly. be good condition monitoring asset reliability engineers. It's not about being a vibration analyst or ultrasound expert. Mm-hmm. It's about taking all the tools in your box to be able to really benefit what you're doing. No, absolutely. And, and normally you see those arguments and it's normally by people in a position that's trying to sell you something. Oh, I know, 100%. Well. It's so isn't driven it? by ego, you isn't know, it? And, you know, again, you've got to have that engineering background to appreciate that, 
you can use them in harmony. I would never ever argue that ultrasound is better than vibrational. Vibration Say now. Oh, you know, I'll tell you though, because I, I would else. have done. I would have done yeah. like five, six years when I was uh, before I did the ultrasound course. I was such a vibration fanatic. And I'm so glad that I see the other side of the, of the open picture of the world. When you're young, yeah. you can be quite na- naive to think that, you know, things things are better or whatever. And when you start to learn and start to, especially as a young engineer, you do get to a place sometimes where you're kind of assuming rather than really using mm-hmm. facts and experience. And yeah, and I mean, you know, like you, like you say there, it's, it's education as well. It is, but it yeah. also it depends on how you're mentored and educated as well because, you know, you might get trained in a certain technology and you might have quite a influential trainer, teacher that will make you think, ah, oh, this is what I need, this is the be-all and end-all. Whereas, you know, for example, when we teach like our Cat 1 and Cat 2 ultrasound courses, we talk about, you know, this is a great technology and it works well in these areas, but also consider utilising it as part of a wider programme with other technologies as well. Yeah, you know, have that understanding. You know, we don't try and go, oh, you must use ultrasound here and there. And it's, it's you know, this thing will be brilliant for you and it'll look after you forever. No, understand your assets, understand the way they fail, but also understand the limitations. Of each, each, each one. Because exactly. you don't want to be, like, again, managing expectations is really important for science mm. as well sometimes. Because sometimes, I suppose, sometimes we'll, we We've been on site in the past and, you know, something has happened to an asset or whatever, but we haven't picked up. The expectation is always like, is it on the vibration analysis? Like, mm-hmm. And again, I think sometimes it's almost as well explaining to the customer. And this is probably something that Maintain didn't do very well initially. You know, really explain And I think when I did the Mobius course, and we are now obviously doing the, the vibration courses and selling it, there was a little piece in there about random failures of, mm-hmm. of, of how random things are. Yep. And understanding, like, you know, there's this, you know, infant mortality zone of, 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 you know, of things when they are changed, the likelihood of risk does obviously increase. But over time, there's no real change in when, do you know what I mean, an asset can fail. It's completely random. That's right, yeah. So, like, trying to explain that to customers sometimes can be challenging. Oh, absolutely, because, you know, you'll see some some um, companies and that that will introduce these technologies and then, you know, we know that with random failures you can still get you can still get random failures no matter how sophisticated and mature your condition based maintenance program is you know you can use all the technologies you want but you could still get a failure that you so wouldn't true. detect it, yeah. it can happen and sometimes you, it's it's not even down to the fact that it's poor running conditions no. like we we had one quite recently actually a few months ago and I'm you know I'm, I'm really open about when I talk about these things because this mm. is the reality mm. most conditional companies will be like no we detect absolutely 100% all of our failures like yeah. that's sorry it's not happening there's yeah. some that slipped in there a very, a very small number but there's some oh, are but, yeah, but we had margins. one yeah small margins but we had one the data didn't say anything you could literally go to that machine when it was there and it was purring before it even happened right and you know two weeks later mm. You've got a failure on it, and um, it was just – it was not detected. And that that's the thing. The idea is because there wasn't an online system on it, we don't know mm-hmm. at what point the yeah. defect was initiated to, to failure, the PNF curve. Usually one-month surveys, generally, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to capture them. Yeah. This is where related issues. right? And we, we're still even monitoring some assets right now. They're still holding on for dear life. <laughs> They'll be there for about a year, and you don't need the collector to tell you there's mm-hmm. an issue or defect, right? You can hear it. But, you know, for, for whatever within that point as well, you have to understand that even there is still even a risk of failure, even with monthly 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this or is it. They could, they, there might not have been anything in the day. It could have just randomly gone, you know, mm-hmm. due to some form of process or whatever. We don't know that yep. in terms of what it was. So, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as well explained that we ain't going to get more. No. We'll get the majority yep. and we'll help you improve the reliability from our root cause analysis of what we find, but we're not going to capture everything. No. The key, I mean? the key thing behind it is improving that overall equipment effectiveness, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that making we, sure yeah. that it is available when needed. And that. and by doing these sort of, using these technologies, using these approaches, you will get there with those. You will improve those. But have that thing in the back of the mind that accepting, yep, that, there is still a level of risk. Yeah, there is still there's a level. Always, of risk. There's always risk, always and that, that kind of points me on to yeah. our next talking point. And you know, we we discussed AI, we discussed mm. these things, we discussed online systems and stuff like that. One thing that really I I do like what you are doing is the on track system. And I think it's kind of one in a, of its kind, to be honest. I don't think many companies are doing this type of technology. It's not very it common. Is. It's not no. common. And the, what the beautiful thing is, I, I love condition based lubrication. But there's even the risk to doing condition-based lubrication, essentially, as well, because I suppose it all depends on the intervals when you're testing these assets as well. Exactly. This because, is it. Yeah. Th- but this is where the on-track, for me, is really beautiful, and I think it, this solves this issue, especially for the critical assets. I mean, essentially, you probably wouldn't want to put an on-track on every single bearing you've got on site. It's it not feasible. Cost you it's, not very, yeah, it's, not it's not practical, is it? No. But for your real critical assets, and there's some assets as well that we're considering of actually, you know, potentially pushing this forward to, and a couple of other sites. We do asset care. But with these asset care sites that we're doing, we do condition-based lubrication. So we look after lubrication on these assets, right? So we have done kind of lubrication surveys. I'm understanding how much grease should be in there anyway mm-hmm. as, as a rough guideline level and we're kind of using VA and ultrasound for example to be able to identify that poor oil film and then replenish the the, mm-hmm. the the grease when required but okay great we go to site we find that a bearing needs lubing we can lube it up there and then right brilliant we can identify that from our collectors then we can mm-hmm. do the test afterwards after we lubricate and we can then understand whether there's a sufficient oil film in that bearing brilliant great thumbs up but the point we leave that site when do we know till we go to the next following month, mm-hmm. that that's going to go back and pour lube again, right? And if it constantly is going back and pour lube, then maybe, you know, we should do a little bit of both, bit a bit of schedule, mm-hmm. put a little bit in so we, we're not starving the bearing so much, then doing a little bit of condition base. But then you have to be careful of that as well because we don't want to be over-lubricating either. Absolutely. So there's this, this, this kind of push and pull, but what the on-track does is, is beautiful, isn't it? Because you can now literally it'll let you know as soon as that oil film starts to deplete and you can lubricate like that instantly so that's it i mean yeah lubricate is a great point you bring it on to and you know lubrication again it's such a high percentage of premature bearing failures are lubrication related but not even that mate like how many you know? have we seen like these fans like self-lubricators just installed Ooh. on them they run yeah. forever they're not calculated correctly mm-hmm. well we went to one site three four months ago and we repacked five fans because they were over-lubricating. They were caked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the bearings were getting hot because there was too much lube in them mm-hmm. because these self-greasers were just set on. I don't think there were many studies done. It was a quite a major company as well that sort of this mm-hmm. happened. This, this is where, I don't lose faith, but I'm just a bit like, where was the strategy here? Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we've come in and, and essentially, you know, now they've put five of their critical fans at risk of failure. Oh, absolutely. It's understanding. You know, you know, you're, now, yeah. you're now causing it. So, like, like we, we should be, the whole idea of it is to be proactive, isn't it? It's education again, isn't it? Yeah. It's understanding yeah. how things work and that sort of thing. I mean, yeah, like you say, with the on-track, you know, if you look at a condition, you know, ideal place you want to be is a condition-based lubrication program. 
lubricating that bearing when it tells you it needs grease, not necessarily just running it on running hours, X amount of grease, this many running hours all throughout the year. Um, you know, because the friction level is the thing that the on track is monitoring because it's the friction that makes it generates the ultrasound. But that's the beautiful thing about ultrasound yeah. because it can kick, because it can pick up earlier than most other technologies. Mm. It can then, you can then replenish that before it potentially causes damage. Well, this bearing. is it. Yeah. If you think about a lot of bearing failures, most bearing failures would have manifested itself at the start as an increase in friction. Yeah. And that increase in friction over time will then lead to further damage. So, you know, if you looked at a manual condition-based lubrication program, for example, you'll go out to a site, you'll see um, your alarms or indications that the bearing requires grease. So you'll be there and you'll be using your technology to apply the grease, making sure you're applying the right amount, bring it to its baseline value in that. And then you will walk away and come back in a month or two's time, maybe to do some more checks. Now, again, you know, if you've got a very early stage defect occurring at that point, that lubrication at the time could actually mask that issue. Yeah, but it well, seems at the time while you're there to be like, oh, yeah, OK, we've done that. That's fine. You walk away and five hours later, that value has gone back up to where it is. And then we'll carry on creeping up until you get there next time and go, oh, it was a little bit higher than last time. And it's going to s- slowly go that way. So like with the OnTrack, you have that ability to monitor that friction level continuously, 24-7. 24-7. So as, soon, as soon as you see that slight rise in friction due to a reduction in lubrication, it's going to give you that alarm. And then all of a sudden, the on-track's going to go into action. Provide that very small amount of grease, because a, a good, adequately lubricated bearing doesn't actually need that much well, grease. You, know, you look at the size of a bearing. No, it doesn't need much what grease. Was it? Peter Boone put um, a, a post up mm. recently with that end shield. <laughs> I, I, what, what I don't understand is, like, if you've got a grease gun, mm-hmm. and you, you, you actually ejected that grease gun, and mm-hmm. you looked physically at the amount of grease that is, is being produced, yeah. right? like... You know, kind of in your head as an engineer, how much grease is going out. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of engineers don't. Like, I think this is like magic grease, and and it, you know, it's got to go somewhere when yeah, you put this stuff exactly. into, into into it. So if you've got a motor like say that big, right, and you've put about you know twenty odd shots in it, where do you think the grease is going to go? It's going to go into exactly. the motor, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. this is the one thing I don't. Understand. Oh, a lot. You know, we used to say this a lot. We used to joke it. it, it it's lubrication's the answer to everything. Oh, it's a bit noisy. We'll put some grease in it. Oh, it's getting a bit warm. Well, I'll put some more grease in it. <laughs> but the thing is, is, well, but that's another discussion because you know? we, we discussed that on a, another lubrication uh, podcast as well, is that generally if you've over-lubed the bearing, the symptom is going to get hot mm-hmm. because there's too yeah. much grease in yeah. there, right? Can't engage the film. You're going to get friction as well. Exactly. So again, when you get that friction, it's going to, you know, it's going to come up in, in the ultrasound. It's going to come up in your vibration test, but the bearing is getting hot, but it's over-lubed. So the more you put in, you're actually now causing it. Yeah. So there's, there's another level of understanding of knowing what, you know, essentially sometimes, you know, when we do get like lube factor or, or friction related events happen, doesn't necessarily mean that the bearing is, is starving of grease. It can mm. mean it's got too much. Well, that's it. Well. And that's what we teach when we teach about how we do condition based lubrication. Is, that- is is there, this is interesting. This is a question that's popped yeah. into my head. Is there a different sound to over lubricate a bearing friction wise and under lube? Uh, surely so there must be what, slightly different. What, what you find is that um, if you've got a bearing that requires lubrication, you'll have a high amplitude, a, a high decibel value, for example. Uh, it'll normally be generally like a uniform sounding sort of. 
um, sound, like a white noise coming from the bearing. Yeah. And as we lubricate, you'll start to find that value start to reduce. Yeah. So the tonal quality will stay the same, but it'll just get lower in amplitude. Um, once it doesn't go any lower, that's kind of your point where the bearing's telling you, right, I've got enough grease now. You're, I'm, I'm uh, happy. I'm happy. Mm. But if you were then to continue lubricating, we've had some sound files where we've done this, and wow. you start to hear all of a sudden that it goes quiet, and then all of a sudden it just starts picking up again, picking up again, and all of a sudden rises quite quickly. Yeah, and he's like, well, but all we've done is just apply more grease because we're packing it out. So yeah. it's increasing the friction. So well, obviously we teach, if you start applying grease and the friction level goes up, the ultrasound level goes up, then you stop because the bearing already has enough. Yeah. yeah so you might yeah. have seen a rise in decibel value um, because of an issue. And then you come to think, oh, grease it, and it goes up again. You know it's not a lubrication-related issue. It's actually a physical issue. As yeah, they, with the they, bearing. There's, there's something else there yeah. that, that requires a little bit more trouble. And that's it. It's very interesting, that is. Yeah, and that's where the on-track also helps because we talk about condition-based lubrication and you'll do it... It's almost, it's almost still time-based in some respects um, because you're collecting your data and lubricating based on the data, um, which is good. That's a great starting point. That's a great place to be. Um, but then if you've got a big time period between that, you'll see that value go up again to a point where it might give you a lubrication alarm. There's still been a little bit of extra excess friction occurring than you'd ideally like. And that's where, like I say, the on-track will then come in because you could then see that smaller rise and then instantly provide a much smaller amount of grease nice, to bring it back go. down. Yeah. So what it happens, what we find is, is that the on-track system will lubricate often and little. But that's the best way. To keep it at its sweet spot. Yeah, you know? and it's the same thing and essentially the best, shall we say, the best lubricated thing is, is essentially an oil really and it replenished all, mm -hmm. all the time but we know we can't obviously achieve that yeah. with, with, with most applications and this is where Greece has now kind of had its play in the industry and moving forward and you are right that is the be little and often is, is yeah. the best way and I think if you really want to get to the, the, the extremes of that you've got to go to a full online system but my argument is well a lot of people are like, well that's expensive well mm -hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if it is your most if it's your most critical asset on site, and we know that lubrication is a number one factor to improve the reliability. Every single, you know, asset that is important and that critical it should be having one of these systems. Oh, absolutely, especially anything over three hundred kilowatts. Yeah, hundred percent. No, absolutely. I mean, again, it's, it's again looking at the reliability program, isn't it? It's doing your Famicas, looking at your criticality, and then looking at identifying the key areas where you where utilize these. Because you yeah. you wouldn't use an IoT system on everywhere on a plant. No, it's just no. not cost effective. You 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 know crescendo it into different type of services, whether yeah. it's handheld VA, and maybe you'd even then extend that. Maybe then that even some of it doesn't even need to get collected mm. because you know you can run it to failure because yeah. it doesn't have impact on safety production environment and and, and you know, exactly all the rest of it so it's, it's having it's having the whole overall outlook of all of these things. Mm -hmm. and that's the beautiful thing about like reliability is there's so much involved with it there is there is and I it's like, not just one yeah. thing is there I like, like the thing you raised there you know about run to failure run to failure is not a dirty word no. some people say run to failure as if it's a, a swear word or something yeah, it's like, no, well, no yeah, it's you, okay it's okay you can say that you can say run to failure it's it. okay it's, it's only okay though once you've done the studies exactly that, that's the only that's issue right. like, it's never really acceptable until you really can understand why mm. that, that strategy is, is implemented but the fact is it is a strategy and if it if it's a, if it warrants that for the asset then then why not? We've that's got to be it. able to go with what's most cost-effective as well. Exactly, that's the thing. Um, but yeah, I think, like I say, from what we've been seeing in industry recently with different trade shows we've been to and everything else, you know, when it comes to ultrasound, the key areas are things like energy savings, condition monitoring, um, the world of IoT. People are wanting to implement more IoT systems 
to help them because of the lack of manpower and time. And the lubrication task, if you think about a very large plant and you've got somebody that has to go out, walk around all over the place on the site with different types of grease guns, different greases and everything else. Uh, it's yeah, it's it time consuming. Can, it's yeah. time consuming. And you need a lot of knowledge as well for yeah. that in terms of understanding mm-hmm. the effects of everything we're doing and all the rest of it. Exactly. And, and that's what, yeah, I, I, I do really like the on-track stuff. I think it's quite cool. Yeah, it's very it, innovative. It's, and uh, I think it people is. should start considering this for their, their critical assets with, especially because a lot of the time, a lot of people will go down the route, well, why don't we just put a self-greaser on? But a lot of these assets they don't run 24-7 no. and then okay you've got the Vib Lube stuff that we provide mm-hmm. as well through Greece and that's very good but then you have to really be reliant on making sure that your schedules are perfect mm-hmm. and how do you know that unless you put an online system when you're tracking it daily yep. and really to get the best understanding of, of setting something like mm-hmm. that up you need to really monitor that asset for a good two months to understand it what you're doing is actually having the right effect. Yeah, exactly. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And this yeah. is where the on-track yeah. will completely trump all of these things because the idea is that we're not relying on it constantly ejecting. Mm-hmm. We're relying on, on the condition. Then we're, as soon as it does go into that friction state, it's, 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 it's sorted done. out. Exactly. Every it's single time. It. And then telling you afterwards it's done what it's done as well. Yeah. It'll tell you how much it's used and how much it But uh, that's beautiful it as well, isn't it? Because yeah. what you could do is actually track, I don't know, three months worth and say, this is the exact amount of grease this particular exactly. asset would need and then you because that is the most show accurate way of understanding the amount well absolutely yeah because you could you will have you know continuous data on the friction level of that bearing if that's running 24 7 all the time you will see what the grease demands are on that bearing how do you think right this is another question i've always thought about this how do you think manufacturers oems understand how much grease is required what studies do they do to, to, to it's a good that? question um i'd love to know how they how they do all those it's calculations just, yeah, it's, just re- it's just really because really interesting this is it i mean if you look at it you know an oem will give you sort of guidelines of recommended grease amounts and they'll give you based on certain factors but also you'll have tables to do other calculations and that could also depend on humidity temperature I know, yeah, things like that and things, if these yeah. if any of these things change by even just a factor of one in certain areas that could have a massive implication on the calculation of the amount of grease yeah and that same bearing could be utilized in a north sea oil rig and it could also be used in a clean in like, pharmaceutical plant. Yeah, or even where so the like demands in, are in be Saudi Arabia, exactly. where, where it's really hot. And the demands are going to be so different. So true, because so, I, I see the metrics as well. When I was doing a bit of lubrication studies and stuff like that myself, I see that even having a vertically mounted mower is very different to having something that's mounted mm. horizontally. Again, speed, load, and everything else it's as well. It, yeah, different factors. humidity as well, mm-hmm. and environment, dust, yep. huge impact on, on how much mm. grease is ejected. So... If the OEM has some sort of understanding of what it could be, then what about all the conditions around it? Then surely yeah. that throws all of that out. So yeah. if we're just basically so- relying solely on manufacturer's recommendations, when we know that the adverse conditions of all these different other elements can have a huge effect on that, mm. we can't actually rely on that, can we? No, exactly. This is it. I mean, I mean you, you can learn a lot from it, I would say. Oh, um, yeah. And you can 100%. gather a lot. And to be fair, like we say, we've seen so many people say, wow, we've had this in use now and the amount of grease we're actually using now is nowhere near as much as we were. So they're actually saving and that's more sustainable as well. Yeah. Again, there's that word sustainability. sustainability. It is because if yeah. less grease is used, then well, come on, yeah. it less needs to be produced to be able to maintain and, that. And how nice would it be to be sat here, for example, pull up your phone and go, oh yeah, I can see the condition of all those bearings right now. Oh, I'm going to just lubricate that bearing. And I could just press a button on my phone and that bearing would get lubricated. It's, and that, that could be on the other side of the world. Yeah, that's really you know? clever. It's clever that, that well. sort of stuff. You know, that's the way things are going. And, you know, we at UE, we, we, as you see, we like to innovate and bring out new things to market. You know, we're continuously developing new technologies. 
and, and that's why we love and you, and Chris, and, and that well. kind of leaves us to our last yeah. kind of talking point. Um, you know. We we now kind of you know going in with UE as well. We're really mm-hmm. trying to uh, promote the brand because we love it. I love what Chris is about. I love what UE is about actually as well. I love the, I love just how I don't know. It's hard. It's a bit of a feeling. It's passion. It's, it's hard, isn't it, to mm. explain? Like for, for me, it's really difficult to explain what UE are about. But everyone, even at UE, um, brilliant on LinkedIn. Peter Boone, all the guys out there as well, always really followed what we're doing as well. Maintain. Mm. I really appreciate that as well. It's just, it's kind of like a nice family, but a very professional informative supporting mm-hmm. one do you know what it, I mean yeah I would, I would I would if I could describe UE Systems as an organisation it's a family yeah I, it's, I it's feel a family, that. and I think that's why it resonates with me it is day. and you know we are always there I know that uh, if I call somebody at 11 o'clock at night it doesn't matter where in the world they are they'll answer that phone um they always want to help each other and if the way that we work together helping each other out we do exactly the same with our customers and the key thing every time is support, 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 support. support. Yeah, and all of our point. customers, you know, I like to treat my customers like my friends, Yeah, you know, because if they need some help, I want to help them. And so do the rest of our team in UE. We just want to help. And that's, and the, that's, key that's thing. the reason why I love UE as well. The support element, the products are incredible as well. Now, don't get me wrong, the products are, you know, for me, number one in terms of what I've used. And that's my opinion, of course. A lot of people have different opinions on what they prefer to use or whatever. But um, again, this is the reason why we've partnered up with UE. You know, we want to be able to, as well, inspire the world with ultrasound as well. We understand the use case for it. We understand how important it is for reliability. And we've got to be able to have a supportive network with ultrasound, essentially, from, from a maintained perspective in terms of us, being able to, A, provide potentially ultra probes, Grease caddies, condition-based lubrication, on-track mm-hmm. systems as well, you know, air leak stuff. So, you know, we are now, you know, we can help you guys out and working with UE and with Chris to be able to get the solution to you guys as well. So that's a huge announcement for me, and I'm really proud to be able to be a part of that as well, Chris. You know, That's it. It's like-minded people like to work together. That's the key exactly. thing, isn't it? So, you know, yeah, share I'm, that passion. I'm looking forward to... To, you know, going out. So if you do, guys, if you've seen this and you, you you like anything we've discussed, if you like the fact of the on track, you like the ideas of the the ultrasound and in terms of, of just listening, if you like the the air leak camera in terms of air leaks or whatever, get in touch with either one of us and we'll be able to help you out and point you in the right direction. Because no, if I can't tell you, I'll tell you, this guy can. Because <laughs> when it comes to ultrasound, there's not one thing that this guy doesn't know. And this is another reason why I like to be around people in the industry like yourself. Because how much knowledge you can gain from these conversations as well oh, it's just absolutely. invaluable you know you've got to learn from mm-hmm. people that have been there for years and doing it and, and experts in their field as well so absolutely. I appreciate your time no, here thank as you. well you know no. you've come all the way down as well we spent I know Chris is a busy man he's got a lot to do he's probably got a lot to do after this but as well you know appreciate you coming over and and spending your time out in, mm-hmm. the, in the podcast studio part of the reliability gang and sharing your wisdom and knowledge no that's it thank you and i do know quite a lot about old shan but i'm still learning other things as well exactly. and that's, that's what i love thing. very humble as well exactly you know <laughs> if so, i still have times where someone says can i use it for this and i will quite honestly say actually, i'm not sure but i'll tell you what let's try it yeah and that's the way i always like to see things i will quite happily say when i don't know something but if i don't know something i know we'll find the answer to it as well Amazing. That that leaves us with a beautiful note. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Um, thank you, Chris, for coming on again. Thank you, Will. And we'll uh, catch you guys soon. Take care. Take care.